Hi, this is Chad. This is where we make our move, make our progress towards product mastery and learn how to create products our customers actually love. This episode is sponsored by the Rapid Product Master Experience. That's the RPM Experience. This is the fastest way for product VPs to help their product managers and really everyone else contributing to product to increase performance together. It's not just training, it's an experience where we see real behavior change take place inside groups. To find out more, go to productmasterynow.com RPM to see how it works and how it can help you. Now, we hear a lot about strategy. It's probably used as much as innovation, one of these overused words. And it is kind of important still, right? Product managers need to understand at least what goes into creating a product strategy. And in practice, what does that mean and how do we get there and how does it help us be more successful? Helping us to explore this topic is Sean Kim. He is the president and chief product officer at Kajabi, a web platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs turn what they know into income. Previously, Sean was head of product at TikTok, where he set the strategic direction and led product teams. Prior to TikTok, he was the global head of product at Amazon Prime. Now, you can see from this intersection of product and business leadership experiences that he is the perfect person to help us better understand creating product strategy. I'm really looking forward to tapping into his experience and and hearing more of his insights. As a reminder, if you do want a written summary of everything we talk about, including a one-page action guide, so you can put into action immediately some of the key insights that are shared, simply go to productmasterynow.com slash 395. Sean, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. I'm really excited. You do have some incredible experiences and an intersection of product and business work. I always think about product as business, right? There's this notion that we're kind of mini CEOs that gets used a lot. We don't even need the actual authority, but we have a lot of responsibility to, in some sense, generating new revenue. But we don't really see the business perspective as much as some of your experience has taken you into. When it comes to strategy, we have some good things I hope we can you know, pull from your insights on. Let's just get everyone grounded first and talk about what is strategy. When I think about this, I make it real simple. It's like if you and I are playing chess together and I'm thinking about where do I move my pieces next? And if I'm really good at chess, then maybe I'm thinking a few you know, steps down the line here. You know, it fundamentally, it's just like, how do we play the game? How do you think about strategy? It's a good question. You know, uh, it's actually for me quite simple. I always start with the customer problem. That's it. I will focus on the customer and what is the biggest, hairiest problem that I can solve for them and how big of an opportunity is that problem. So that's where I start with, right? And once I've identified that, which is essentially half the battle, then, you know, we think about what is the potential solution we can offer to that customer to solve that problem to reduce the friction in, in that experience or, or to essentially just remove it all together, right? So what is the problem and what is the potential solution we can offer? Then we think about, you know, what is that phase approach in terms of how we can potentially offer this solution? You know, you have this ideal experience at the very end of this amazing product you're going to build. However, will probably be really expensive. <laughs> so what is the step-by-step approach to kind of validate that solution initially, the, the MVP or MLP, the minimal lovable product they can offer to test your assumption. And then from there, start building to get to that grandiose experience that you're trying to build and offer to your customer. The strategy also includes, for instance, you know, what is the, what are your competitors doing to solve that for this, mm. for this problem as well? And then 
what is the risks with the solution you're offering? So there's always risks involved and you got to kind of identify what those are and think about how you're going to address those. So be more proactive with that as well. So that's essentially the way I think about product strategy. It's just 100% focusing on the customer and ensuring that you're solving for their problems and then starting from there. I love that you're speaking the language of this podcast, right? Because we talk about the need to focus on customers and their problems, their unmet needs frequently. And how do we do a better job with that? So you're starting there and it sounds like, you know, business strategy, product strategy is wrapped into the same thing for you that, you know, the organization is about trying to make some, create some value for customers, make things better for them in some way. That's right. And typically the, you know, the best product strategies are solving the more, the most complex, difficult problems that customers have. Right. So when you're looking at all the different things that customers have to do and all the different issues that they're running into, it's, you know, keeping that in mind and going through that customer journey yourself and then saying, wow, this is a big problem that I have to accomplish a certain task. And then how do you provide a solution to remove that friction or just remove that step altogether? Removing friction sometimes just gets overlooked that a lot of the angst we have in using products is because they're not as simple as they could be, right? You know, there's some extra steps that don't make sense to us, or I hate systems that ask me for the same information more than once. <laughs> Why can't we figure that problem out? And removing friction is something that really can be a way to delight customers because we just get frustrated with places where we run into friction. Yeah, and also I would say, you know, the best products are ones that are just helping customers with an existing behavior, right? Hmm. So there's already a behavior happening with customers trying to solve a certain task you know, throughout their lives. And so that behavior is already existing and your product essentially is helping you solve that task faster, right? With the reducing friction or removing obstacles along the way. That appears to be the low hanging fruit, right? Anytime right. we don't have to teach our customers they have a problem when they actually recognize that they have this need that we can help them with. Right, exactly, exactly. I did want to spend a little bit of time just connecting to organizational strategy, right? So as product people, we have our product strategy we put in place. We'll talk more about, you know, getting there in just a moment. You frame that the same way that many of us think about this is, you know, 100% focused on the customer, right? Solving their problem. But organizations also have their, often the organizational strategy or strategic objectives, right? Like we're going to expand this market 20% this year. We're expecting 20% new revenue from this other market we're entering whatever those strategic objectives are. And I find it interesting as I talk to product people, how often they don't have a, they just don't have an understanding of even what the organizational strategies are. And sometimes I think that's pretty important to have an understanding because it helps with decision-making at times, right? That we have to make on our product mm -hmm. and just to, for alignment issues too, that we're doing work that supports the strategic objectives. But you've been in product and leadership roles throughout your career, how you kind of see that relationship you know, what's the company is doing overall versus what am I doing as a product person? Yeah, it's a good question. And, uh, you know, I, I would say that it's really critical to know what your North Star metric is, right? In terms of, you know, where you point, you know, all your product teams and others, other teams that are helping you to align to, right? So it's saying, hey, this is essentially our North Star metric for the company. And then from there, you can actually look down stream and say, what are the core metrics that are going to help us drive to this North Star metric? And you'll definitely come up with a few here, you know, like for instance, 
you know, certain companies may look at the North Star metric as growth in terms of paid subscribers, right? And then if you look at growth in terms of paid subscribers, then you have core metrics such as, you know, conversion on the website to a trial to paid, which is activation, and then paid customers sticking around, which is retention. And then also ensuring that you have high NPS and trust with these customers, right? So there's lots of different core metrics that ensure that you understand what they are. And then you look further down the line and you see, you know, a lot of input actions that will help drive these core actions. So those are other actions that, you know, that your teams can really influence and see immediate results that will have long lasting impact on core metrics that drive to your North Star metric. So once you kind of understand what those are, then you can align your teams and create, you know, these objectives around these core metrics to help influence those. You know, first establishing the North Star metric, then what are the core metrics that drive to that North Star metric, then what are the key inputs that drive that, and then aligning your teams around these, and then coming up with the, the products and the strategies to help drive those. Alignment is very important, right? Getting everyone on the same page, knowing what we're trying to do together. Some projects that we're working on as time evolves, we lose sight of what is most important, right? We kind of get down in the weeds so much, we haven't talked to the customer for a while, and we're just doing our individual responsibilities on the project team. And we lose sight about what we're trying to actually get done, what is most important. So having a framework in place would be helpful for that. That's right. We'll be back in just a minute. This podcast is sponsored by the RPM Experience, the Rapid Product Mastery Experience. In just nine weeks, meeting 75 minutes a week, product managers, teams, and leaders become product masters, creating more value for customers, their organization, and themselves. You will build a broad foundation of product management knowledge, get everyone on the same page, while also improving collaboration and renewing a focus on the customer, all resulting in higher performance. Participants feel empowered and more confident about their work. They learn how to create value for customers and revenue for their organization. One product leader who used the RPM experience across a global organization said it is the only training that provides an integrated product management perspective. It did exactly what I needed. Many organizations have benefited from the RPM experience, and you'll find them listed at productmasterynow.com RPM. Go to the same URL and schedule time to talk about how Chad and his team can help you and your organization. I think it would help us also to to dig into that a little bit more in terms of maybe an example you have from your past experience. You know, if we end up with like the steps for creating a product strategy, that's great. Maybe talking through an example would help us think about what are the things that go into that. Do you have one you can share with us? So an example of a product strategy would be when I was at Amazon and our North Star metric was paid prime members, right? You know, paid prime members is essentially, you know, ensuring that these members stick around and they're, you know, retained over time. And, you know, it would never be at the expense of customer experience. We would, you know, it would ensure that customers have the best experience and realize the value of the membership so that they do become retained and we have more paid members globally. And, Thinking about this, you know, we wanted to essentially understand if our customers really realize the value of the membership and how we can ensure that customers realize that value of the membership. One of the areas that we wanted to focus on was the prime membership cancellation experience. And the reason why we focus in this area is because 
there's only one way to cancel, essentially, which was the cancellation experience. So if you want to focus, any of your efforts would be where you would definitely have the most eyeballs, right? And this is the cancellation flow. And we essentially launched a new experience that helped customers realize the benefit that they were receiving. All, cust- all customers who were trying to cancel would immediately see, oh, these are all the benefits that I'm going to lose if I were to cancel my membership. Customers were also provided alternative solutions. You know, it's usually price related, but which just means that they didn't realize the value of the membership. So we provided different plans. You know, we provided reminders. Um, we also, you know, again, provided different types of benefits that customers would lose to help them realize that, hey, it's not just free shipping that you're losing or video. There's lots of other different benefits that are available there. You know, one of the things that we learned is that even though Prime is a really well-known brand, most customers didn't even realize what the benefits were beyond the two-day free shipping and videos. Uh, there's over 30 different benefits, like you know, maybe even more now, like free music, discounts, early access to deals, free books to read, and so on. So that's something that you know we quickly realized, like, hey, we shouldn't assume that customers realize what all the benefits are. So that's a, that was a good learning for us. You know, so I think like given the success of what we tested there, we essentially like launched this thing globally, right? So we had to figure out essentially how to scale ourselves at that point. So we, after that first MVP, then we enabled machine learning to kind of test everything on that cancellation experience, the copy image, location of the copy, call to actions, colors, literally everything. So the machine learning, you know, AI would essentially test all combinations of the content in the cancellation experience and determine the best one to show people globally. So that's a way to kind of take the MVP and really scale it. And then the, I think the last thing that was really important for us is um, we had to, you know, debate whether we offer discounts in the membership itself. But that's kind of a slippery slope, right? Especially if you're trying to empower PMs or marketers globally to make decisions especially, you know, given how big of a company you are, right? You can't, it's not a top down company. It's a bottoms up company. Everyone's empowered to make decisions. How do you empower people at scale without having them make decisions that are bad for the business, right? So we then established tenants so that, you know, you know, principles in terms of how we should be operating, what decisions we should not be making so that we can essentially also help scale the business and the decisions we make around improving the product globally. Good stuff to dive into a little bit. Many people listening, Prime member for many years now. I occasionally stumble across something that I didn't even know was included in Prime, right? My, my initial motivation was the free shipping, two days. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. You know, pays for itself easily just doing that. So if I'm in that team, right, in the product team who's charged with helping overall part of a, a part of teams charged with helping to increase the revenue from Prime, from this product, from Prime membership. And right now what we're working on is, well, you know, we can use the canceling method actually as an opportunity to retain customers and let them know what value they're getting, right? But what's the problem? Why are people wanting to cancel in the first place? And you identified in your example, Mm -hmm. they're wanting to cancel because they're not really seeing value in this. Okay, certainly makes sense. So as part of that canceling experience, we could make it clear to them that what value they actually are getting here. And then doing that, you test, and this is a benefit that Amazon has just by by sure number of people viewing pages. You can quickly test lots of combinations 
and that user experience, you know, through the user interface of the system about what would work best, right? That's right. And when you were at Amazon, there's some, there's tools to help with that. You said you have a machine learning system that helps do that user, that user experience testing. Yeah. So, you, so machine learning, you, you set an objective function, meaning like what's the metric you're optimizing for. And then you throw in all your combinations of content and then it, you know, basically tests everything all, you know, all for you. And then it outputs a, the right combination that uh, will optimize for this metric, which is retention in our case. That's, that's so it's carving out of the, you know, I don't have any idea how many hundreds of thousands of people might be going to a normal Amazon page. Fewer we would hope for this canceling process in this case, but you know, it's carving out some small percentage to show potential pages, right? Mm -hmm. Like an A-B test, and you're just doing multiple versions of that across a subset of the customers, and then judging what seems to work best in terms of getting them to the desired outcome of, oh, I don't want to quit. I This actually does have value to me. Is that's that right? right? That's right. That's right. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. It started with the customer problem. Why are they canceling? We did some surveys to understand what the value is. You know, uh, well, so we started with the you know survey to understand why they're trying to cancel. And then we understood like it was a lack of value. Then we went to the one place that they're trying to cancel and then make sure that people understood what the value was. So that was the idea. I, mean, I, I can also give you examples of things that didn't work. I mean, I like definitely... Sure. Launched. We learned from those well too. <laughs> yes. Like, like I mean, the, the, one of the one of the uh, big advice I give my team is like, you know, hey, look, not everything's going to work. You just you got to, but you have to swing big. You have to take risks, mm -hmm. and not everything's going to work out. Some will fail. Failure is just one step closer to success. It's basically a really amazing learning opportunity to know what's working, what's not working, and from there we can potentially build even better products. So. With that said, one of the things that I worked on when I was on TikTok was something called the Learn tab. I don't know if you are familiar with the TikTok user experience, but there's two tabs within the homepage. It's following and then for you. Obviously, everyone knows the for you experience. That's where you land on and get that personalized recommendation of videos. We actually launched a third tab called Learn. And the reason was is because we heard in the past that a lot of people that stopped using TikTok said the content was just not useful. So we set out you know, a, a way to onboard more useful content. We even launched a $50 million creative learning fund. We started this big initiative on, you know, a hashtag called learn on TikTok. And given the investment and talking to a lot of users, you know, we wanted to provide a dedicated place where people can actually find this useful content. That's directly from customers. Like, hey, I want a one place where I can just watch this useful content and I can learn on TikTok. So we launched this third tab called learn. And, you know, we thought, hey, this could work. We could potentially launch other types of categories, other types of tabs where we offer dedicated content like news, sports, cooking, travel, you name it, right? So it seems simple enough on that, you know, from a concept perspective, but, you know, it's actually a ton of work across lots of different teams. I mean, it's not a lot of problems. So, like, how do you even define learning content? That was a question we had to kind of think about, right? Who decides if the content is you know, instructive and educational. What about religious content, right? How do you also tag it so that it appears in the learn tab? How do you do it at scale? You know, also like, does the word learn even resonate in different languages? You know, would it fit if you translated the word language in a different, you know, in different language? And so I think there was, there was a, there was a lot of thinking to go through, but we actually did test this. And once we launched, we, we saw some interesting behaviors 
But for the most part, it was a, only a smaller percentage of people that visited that tab on a daily basis. The majority of people just stayed in the For You feed. And, the, and so the learnings for us in terms of why it didn't work very well was even though customers said, you know, a user said that they want this separate tab, the reasons why it didn't work very well was because one, it was a separate tab. <laughs> we learned that, you know, having a separate tab meant less users just visiting the experience overall. Right. Users say they want it for specific categories, but their actions say otherwise. And we also saw that the more people spend outside the For You feed, the worse the core metrics. So that's not good. Number two was only watching learned content isn't very fun, right? Users want a variety of content. You know, similarly, if you're having, like a, as an example, if you're having dinner, right? You can't just eat steak. You got to have your veggies and you got to have your desserts and so on. You got to have a well-rounded meal. So I think just watching like instructive learning content wasn't like incredibly appealing, right? And the last part was that taxonomy is incredibly hard to do. So like determining what's learning content, what's instructive, it just wasn't very easy. So I, I would say that was a really successful product. However, from that experience, we learned a lot. So one was that learning videos were actually much longer overall than, than entertaining videos on average, which meant users actually watch less total videos on the platform. But we also learned that learning the, these longer videos didn't negatively impact our certain metrics that, that we care about. So this actually opened the door to testing longer videos on TikTok. And now TikTok has, what, I think 10 minute videos now, right? So that was a really interesting outcome that we, we learned from. We also learned that you know, users do want useful content. You know, we had a lot of survey data that suggested people want more useful content. And so we can continue to invest in more, you know, more useful educational content. But rather than a separate tab, we just included it as part of the For You feed. And now, like I think learn on, hashtag learn on TikTok has over 307 billion video views to date. So it's a good learning experience for us. Absolutely. And things don't always work the way we want and still wonderful opportunities to learn from. In doing that, you mentioned that your metrics, so again, you know, back to the strategy that we're working towards, that you discovered the overall metrics degraded when people were spending time on the Learn tab. So even if we had metrics that might suggest, wow, this Learn, learn capability is amazing because we have people giving us good feedback, they're enjoying the content, we're making it easier for them to find educational training content. But overall, as a platform, it's actually distracting from where we're trying to head. That's right. That's right. You know, like there was definitely a lot of emphasis on keeping the app as simple as possible. You know, there's, we don't want to add complexity to the app if it doesn't really have a material impact on, you know, our, our core metrics, right? So I think, you know, those are some things that we care about, especially if we're doing a big change on the user experience for the for you feed, you know, so, so I think like that's something with to keep in mind. Anytime you build a product, don't add complexity if it's not necessary. I want to go back to something you said about the Amazon example, which is a, a slight tangent maybe off a of strategy, but I thought it was a really important point because you started talking about teams. And no doubt you've worked with lots and lots of teams. And this issue seemed really important about how do we empower people to make decisions and also help them make decisions that are in the interest of the company and not bad decisions, right, for the company. And, you know, this could be a whole nother discussion and a whole nother episode, but I just wanted to hit on it just to get your thoughts a little bit more about, you know, the value of empowering teams or just maybe some insights about how you have 
draw on the best out of teams through your experiences? Good question. So, uh, you know, what I've really emphasized with my teams is one is essentially make sure you're focused on the customer 100%. Always focus on the customer. There's many ways that obviously can do this. Talk to customers. You can you obviously need to become one of the product or service you're offering. You got to understand what motivates them and then just start figuring out what are the big problems that you can solve for them, right? You should talk to users on a regular basis, your core users, your churn users, and, and try to use different types of communication as, as much as possible, which is could be surveys, but it could be just people in the street you talk to on a regular basis. I try to right. talk to customers at least once or twice a week, right? Two is you don't need all the data to make a decision. You know, you need like maybe 56% of the data. If you have 100%, you're probably moving too slow. You get what you can, you make a decision, move on, right? And especially if you're a startup, you don't have a lot of data, right? You have to just make a decision with what you have and then and then hopefully it works out. And then if it doesn't work out, then you have more data to, you know, improve the next product you're launching. The third is say, I would say like really important is that you have to just stay curious. You have to keep learning. Try to find something to learn each day. And obviously read a lot of books in your space and, you know, in your industry about your customers and like anything essentially that can help you really, you know, hone your craft. And then also I would say you have to think like a CEO, like as a PM, you have to be really versatile and like be able to have solid understandings of the different functions of the business and also contribute to all the conversations that are happening because all those different teams are essential to the success of your product as well as your business. And then last is, I would say it's really critical. And one of the most important is that you have to take risks. It's, you have to be okay with making mistakes and you have to expect to fail. Like it's going to be okay. Like failure is just really one step closer to success to make a better product. I get excited just, I get just as excited with the failures, you know, when something doesn't work as much as I do with things that do work, right? Because it's an interesting chance for us to look at the data and say, oh, wow, this is why it didn't work. And then we can improve on improve on that product and launch a new one, right? So I think that's and also as managers, I think you have to give your team the, you know, freedom to experiment and fail. Like, you know, I think the fastest way to kill innovation is always expecting success and penalizing people for failure, right? That's the fastest way to kill innovation, right? So I think it's just really important that, you know, I, you sh that as a manager, you're sharing that with your, like your failures along, you know, along the way and say, here's mistakes I made, check this out. And so that kind of helps them realize that it's okay to, so it's, it's okay to take those big swings, take those risks and have failures along the way. Yeah. It's a good way to set the culture, right? Because risk of failure, risk overall, the issues with failing stop a lot of potential innovations in organizations, right? right. Making progress That's and right. sharing those examples of your own failures is a good way of saying, hey, you know, this is part of our culture and this is how we learn too. We, we learn through failure. That's right. And we know we, if we have a failure, then we know a way that doesn't work and we're working towards more ways that do work. You've heard of the Fire Phone, right? Fire Phone didn't work out too well, but you know, they learned. I was rooting for the Fire Phone. You know, <laughs> it, it was on my radar as a, to be a customer of and yeah. nope, didn't make it. So <laughs> I do have some Fire Tablets. So. Yeah. Well, really good information. Love. I'm so glad I asked about the teams because you shared such really important points, you know, starting with the focus on the customer. That, that's what our decision making should be aligned to is responding to the customer and adding more value for them. So really great insights. As listeners know, we love an innovation quote around here. What is it that comes to mind as a quote for that you can share with us? And what does it mean to you? The one that I always think about is 
stay hungry, stay foolish. I think the one that Steve Jobs have shared. And the reason why it resonates with me is because like the older I get, the more, I guess, like established I can become in a career and so on. I always want to make sure that I'm, you know, staying curious, staying hungry to, you know, delivering something that's really impactful for our customers and taking risky bets and seeing what happens, right? Like, I think like, I don't want to lose that as a product manager, as a leader, you know, no matter how high I move up in a position, right? I want to make sure that I continue to retain that as a PM, as a human being. Yeah, it's a really good quote. And I'm sure it's in your mind now as in your new role as president and CPO of Kajabi, because, you know, as organizations grow over time, and as we work more into those leadership and management sort of roles, we tend to be pulled towards, even as product people, pulled towards wanting to optimize operations in some sense, right? And anytime we're optimizing operations, then we're probably starting to move away from freedom to make mistakes, right? And to change things and the things that actually make us better at innovating. And there's that little tension. It will be a really good experience at Kajabi to kind of walk through that tension a little bit and see what goes on. And speaking of Kajabi, I've known of the platform for a long time. I have uh, entrepreneur friends that have things on Kajabi as a platform. If you want to tell people what this thing is, as well as anything else that you would like to share in terms of people finding out about about the work you're doing, that'd be great. Yeah, Kajabi is a leading all-in-one platform for knowledge creators to market, publish, and sell like their digital content, such as online courses, live stream, coaching, newsletters, podcasts. You can think of it as a build your own personalized masterclass for your audience. You're basically the brand, it's your domain, it's your website. We give you the tools and the education and services to build it. And you know, I think it'll also creators take home 100% of the earnings, right? So whether you make a dollar or make a hundred million dollars, you keep what you earn. And uh, there have been creators on a platform that have made hundreds of millions of, hundreds of millions of dollars on a platform. It's amazing. We have what 57,000 customers to date, over 100,000 businesses created. Creators make on average 30k a year, which is essentially unheard of in the creator economy space. And creators have earned over 3.5 billion dollars to date. So arguably, creators are way more successful on a platform. And there's a lot to be said, you know, when it comes to like starting an online business and you want to make sure you start with the right platform, have the right, you know, community behind you, have the right customer experience and teams behind you to ensure you have the best chance for success. You know, I, I think that if you're a creator out there, if you want to, if you're interested in getting an online business up and running, this is the place to start. Excellent. I'll share with you real briefly my, my experience. I don't have any actual experience on the platform. But I started, gosh, I don't know, 15 years ago now, probably on a uh, different content management systems and finally ended up on WordPress. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, engineering background, can code a little bit, don't want to code a lot. Like WordPressing, like the kind of overall good mix, make this easy and built out uh, basically, you know, just my web presence. That's where the podcast is. And I have some online courses that people can get to as well. And that, that is all fine. And then I'm talking to my entrepreneur friends and they're talking about this Kajabi tool and what they like about that. And there's been many times that I have thought about moving, you know, rather to your platform or, you know, something similar, but that's the one at the top list at the moment, frankly, um, because of just the back to the tension, the friction that is imposed in some products. Every time WordPress upgrades, something breaks on my site. Every time a plugin upgrades, something breaks on my site. And the notion of having it all in one place and what my friends were telling me, like, you know, they do upgrades and you don't even know about it, right? You just get exactly. some new capability, right? Things don't break. Just keep working. 
And that's really valuable. Yeah. For friction, for me wanting to move to it, Sean, it's just like, wow, that just feels like a heavy lift to kind of leave what I know and go to a new thing. Maybe I'll make that step sometime. Maybe I'll discover there's some things that you guys do to help out with that too. But yeah. this is not a paid advertisement, listeners. It's just I do have some experience, so I thought I'd bring it up. Yeah, it's, it shouldn't be hard. I, you know, I think as long as you have the content available, it's actually pretty quick. And it's also, especially like, you know, yourself, you have an audience already that makes it even easier to start monetizing. So yeah, I definitely would encourage you to try it out. And then, you know, we have customer service teams here to just help you out with that as well. So. Awesome. That's good to know. This is great. I really appreciate the information. Thinking about product strategy, love the customer focus, right? The strategy is all about just staying focused on the customer, what their needs are, how we can help add value to them, how we can re remove or mitigate some of the friction that is in the process now when they're using products and just building your strategy around the customer. That simplifies so many things for us as product people. That's right. That's right. Sean, thank you so much for being with us today. Really appreciate the information. Listeners, for you, if you want to go find that summary of everything we've talked about, the written version of this, as well as that one-page action guide to help you put into action immediately, the takeaways kind of that we that came up here, you'll find all that at productmasterynow.com slash 395. Everyone, keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.